Sometimes in sport, it just takes one moment of magic to make you a superstar. What a race! That is the performance of the championship from Lewis Hamilton. A man possessed, just picking off cars one by one. That season GPT just cemented it that, yeah, this is a, a real star in the making in, in F1. So Lewis Hamilton, whatever happened to that guy, eh? I've heard he's still plodding along somewhere. <laughs> Welcome along, my lovely, lovely people, to another Races of Our Lives. And we're delving dangerously close to Formula One territory here, but not quite. The year is 2006. Lewis Hamilton has no F1 stars to his name, but one weekend in Turkey would put him on track to changing that. With me to talk GP2 is Formula Scout and Autosport writer Steve Whitfield. Let's get straight to it. Good to have you, Steve. Uh, I suppose, what's the first thoughts when I say GP2 2006 Turkey? Well, it has to be. To avoid it being a boring answer, it has to be Lewis Hamilton, doesn't it? That really? <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> As someone who's very interested in Hamilton at the time, the uh, recovery drive and specifically the last lap overtake is the one, as we're sure, I'm sure we'll come on to discuss, is the one that probably is the one moment that stands out <laughs> from that. I, I fully agree. I was in the same situation watching it going, we might have another proper star here to finally cheer. And by then, he obviously had a McLaren uh, contract practically in his pocket, much to the chagrin of poor Gary Paffert, who I also followed quite quite a lot from DTM. And suddenly, a nice vacant seat that uh, our good friend Juan Pablo Montoya left suddenly has been filled uh, with uh, Ron Dennis's protege. Yeah, okay. a bit of a sort of at the time being also a Gary Paffert DTM fan <laughs> and seeing that. Everyone F1. was. That one F1 opportunity snatched from his grasp. <laughs> I know. We would have got away with it if it wasn't for that pesky Ron and his team. And like you said, we all know what everyone's first thought is of this race. But, and I'm not going to let this lie, Andreas Zuber won this bloody race. Andy Zuber, from lights to flag, barely gets any credit for this. Of course, it's all about the Hamilton show, but... A lovely little drive from start to finish, no mistakes. I mean, give it two more laps that we may not have been celebrating as much as we do, but the cameras just kind of let him disappear out of shot and say, oh, bye-bye, onto, onto the superstar. So, yes, well, let's let's give hashtag justice for Zuber, I think we'll get trending. <laughs> the forgotten winner of that race, when he controlled it, had Carol behind him under pressure and then pulled away. You know? Superstar I mean, effort. Superstar. What? Superstar, wasn't he? I mean, went on to great things, obviously, Eurobus, you <laughs> know, in the Eurobus series. One, one on his FIA GT debut as well. Yeah, FIA GT winner. Genuine superstar there. Exactly. Uh, well, I not have a bad word said about that chap. So, yes, it's August 2006. Twitter, or whatever it's called, it was founded, Schumacher's retiring for the first time, and Cristiano Ronaldo has been a little winker at the World Cup. Hey, what a cheeky little devil, eh? Absolutely not bitter one bit. <laughs> also, a young lad from Stevenage is doing a mighty fine job in F1's feeder series. And I suppose yeah. the big question then was, who could stop Lewis Hamilton? Because he was on fine form at that point. 
And there was only really young Nelson Piquet Jr. who was in the mix to stop him. Yeah, I mean, Piquet was, I think, from memory at the time, was probably the favourite going into that season. He'd uh, had quite a, a successful junior career up until that point. British F3 champion in 2004, in quite a stacked field at the time when F3 was still, British F3 was still a proper competitive championship back then. And uh, randomly, an A1GP winner, I soon to remember as well, <laughs> winner of the first two ever A1GP races, that Nations Cup of single-seaters. So at the time, he was um, quite highly rated, but probably flattered to deceive in his first season in 2005 in GP2, alongside a certain Nico Rosberg, the whole Rosberg-PK rivalry from the 90s. It all begins. We <laughs> uh, kindled. But yeah, second season in 2006, I think he was probably the favourite, although there was a lot of hype around Hamilton coming in. Um, yeah, he was the one who, if anyone was going to stop Hamilton, it was going to be him. Well, you say about the, the ladder towards Formula 1, it was a lot easier back then to work it out, wasn't it? Because, I mean, Yildo from Formula Scout <laughs> duties that there's all kinds of ways now to work your way to Formula 1, if anything. Is it is it harder or is it easier now because there's more opportunities? I suppose then you had, what was the order it'll have been? karting then you've got a choice formula bmw god god rested soul what a series that was cough bruno senna cough uh or formula renault and then of course if you do well in that hello british f3 straight into that with as you say what we saw as of course it was named british f3 so it's the proper version and then you had the choice of either do you go towards a series such as maybe world series by renault or do you go to what lewis did and completely blow the field away in Formula 3 Euro Series in front of the German crowds, which I think that was the series that really kicked in as Lewis being a superstar, having just made people like Jamie Green hot tips for the title, and a certain Sebastian Vettel, you may have heard of that name, possibly, just completely wiped the floor with those. So I suppose, is it easier now to get to choose your options, or is it just congested, too congested of anything? Hard to say, and it's more congested now, and with all these random series now with Formula Regional and and Euro Formula, and then there's F3, but is it really F3? Or is it still yeah, for, my Formula GP. 4 Hong Kong version 2 or whatever it is? Yeah, that's my GB3 expertise. I'm still convinced that's the proper F3. That's my bias coming in. And Hampton was kind of the first, one of the first to really be one of the like have a backing of an F1 team for me. It wasn't kind of the norm back then. Whereas now it really is. You've got to be on a, an F1 academy from a young age to have really any chance of getting to F1. Hamilton was one of the first to really blaze that trail really at the time. So I think it was probably back then, it was probably easier if you were an outsider to get into F1 if you just impressed. Whereas now I think even if you're, you're going to be doing something pretty special, I think if you're not with an F1 academy, to break in now, unfortunately. So it's probably tougher in that sense. But then there's probably more opportunities out there, as you say. You can barely even tell who's actually racing for what team now because there's more academy liveries than there are team liveries. Yeah, we'll get to all the uh, Red Bull liveries in F2 this season working out soon. Yeah, I think, I think we've got 35% of racing drivers now currently driving for Williams as an academy driver. See. Another thing was, of course, the circuit of Istanbul. This is one of the, in inverted commas, newer circuits at the time. Uh, but it was, it just felt different. It just felt like something more raw 
and I've, I've only really got good memories of this circuit, especially in those two opening years. Every single race just seemed to be a complete belter, whether it was motorcycle racing. I remember seeing a 125 race. I think it was the first race I ever watched at that circuit. And by at, I mean from my bedroom. But at one stage, they were going 10 bikes wide heading into a chicane. It just seemed to attract perfect opportunity, well, opportunities to overtake slipstream and as we've seen from this race we're going to speak about just banzai lunges it was a good circuit yeah. wasn't it oh i used to love it it's a proper proper race right you could have proper racing around there like, i think the first two three quarters were modeled on into the first quarters into lagos so you'd have the lunges down the head into turn one and you'd have that fabulous long like Four apex corner, yes. Apex turn eight, which for the, not for the F1 was like the driver's challenge. But then you had that long blast down to the hairpin at the end of the lap where, there was, as you say, there's all these lunges. So just great, great racing, didn't it? And lot, lots of chaos. And it was yeah. lunge city, absolute lunge city. Even the, also, it was hard on tyres as well. I remember a world, a world touring car race where I think Alfa Romeo dominated. And then all of a sudden, tyres popped on at least two cars on just the final lap so poor old Martin Haven who was commentating in this race as well was having a lot of trouble trying to work out who actually was still carrying on in that race I suppose another memory I had about Istanbul is a bit stranger but it just keeps coming into my head it was two years later at the same weekend at the GP2 weekend where uh, young Bruno Senna superstar in the making he suddenly disappears from the race with no front wing front end hanging off we go what's happened here i mean everyone else seems okay and of course the replay showed what happened but it's more interesting when you read it in autosport magazine as i did at the time where of course you'll see a results section underneath the report which of course we're used to having to write but this time we didn't really have the, the luxury of this which was writing the reasons for retirement, where you'll see car, etc. retires, in brackets, engine. Uh, another driver, retired, suspension. It says, B. Senna, retired, in brackets, hit dog. <laughs> which, as horrific as it was, especially seeing replays of it on telly, which uh, we probably could have done without. Yeah, that was a bizarre memory. It was one of those circuits which did still have its dangers, I guess, which maybe is a reason why it was spontaneously used. Yeah, I remember that moment. I remember it in the pits when he, in the, he didn't know why he was in the pits. You just heard him, like, say, he's a, just hit a dog. And he's <laughs> like, did I just hear that right? <laughs> oh, hang on. Is this Anthony Davidson all over again? Can Canada? But no. Bizarre stuff. Absolutely bizarre. But still, well done, Turkey, as they'd say. Forget Baku, well done, Turkey, we'll say as the hashtag for this one. Of course, back in the days before DRS as well, so... Oh, God. Let's just stick to cricket with DRS, I think. <laughs> so, we know about two drivers in that field anyway. When you look down the list, it's not a bad mix, actually. We've got ex-Formula 1 drivers in there, at least two of them. But you've got names like, oh, just to list some, Lucas Degrassi, of course. Now, um, well-known in any kind of single seaters he can get his hands on. And then you've got Jose Maria Lopez, who was on the front row in qualifying for this weekend. Of course, he won three touring car titles as well. So 
Yeah, there's no slouches in that field. Yeah, Timo Timo Glock as well had already been in F1 with Jordan for a brief cameo and <laughs> in chat with the uh, now defunct champ car. <laughs> the famous Irish the famous Irishman Tim O'Glock. Oh yeah. <laughs> the Eddie Jordan uh, nickname for him. <laughs> <laughs> By this stage, as we said, it was really all about just young PK and young Lewis. I remember him saying in a quote, there was a seat in Formula One potentially and I knew that I had to over-deliver that year. My first year in GP2, I was racing against people who had been there a lot longer than me, naturally. The pressure was immense. Coming off a bad weekend in Tinta, Turkey, again, it was not really that spectacular after race one. I never gave up. I think the race ended up being great. And I think, I think we can safely say you were not wrong there, my friend, Lewis. <laughs> not at all. Hamilton was just starting to have a little bit of a glitch in his season. He had a bit of a rough time at Hungary, I remember, on one of those bizarre weekends. Of course, it was that bizarre that Jensen Button even ended up winning his first Grand Prix in that very weekend in Budapest. So already the Brits were doing very, very well. But at this stage, PK was closing in. And even though he was an underdog, he managed to turn a 26-point deficit to virtually nothing at this stage. And he even stuck it on pole position. So by this stage form was probably in PK's favour. Was he a forgotten talent, should we say? He probably is now PK, but back, back then, uh, probably, you know, he was, I think he was highly rated. Um, and as you say, he'd, he'd had a good run. He'd had a, he'd had a difficult round at Hockenheim and fallen to, you say, well over 20 points behind Hamilton, but then he bounced back with um, two wins in a row to go into Budapest back in the title hunt, whereas Hamilton had a, you know, not a difficult run but you know the wins had kind of dried up from that early season when he won it twice at Silverstone and won dominated at Monaco so yeah there was this stage of the season PK was genuinely right back in the mix going into Budapest into not Budapest into uh, Turkey he, he had these little moments though at PK it was it's strange you watch it back and even in British F3 you could just see PK he could have won that year in 2004 this is British F3 by a long way but of course a trip to the field at Castlecombe a bizarre race in Belgium I remember where I think he was involved in four separate incidents and still finished but lost points obviously that went down to the last round against um, Adam Carroll who was also in this race uh, or actually I have to call him the A1GP legend Adam Carroll otherwise some colleagues I know will scorn me forever if I don't say that <laughs> If we watched the season, it just seemed like Lewis had something extra, especially with the overtaking side. I mean, just the British Grand Prix weekend. That was astonishing. I bet you've got good memories of that as much as I do. Yeah. I mean, say PK was, he was great on his day, but he, he had his ups and downs. I think he had a pit lane speeding penalty in Hockenheim, which just ruined his weekend. Whereas Hamilton was just, when he was, you know, he was just explosive when he was really on it. There was just throughout the season, I think the standout for Hamilton was these comeback drives, and there was another one at Silverstone that you mentioned in the reverse good race when he came from eight to to win it with that double pass on um, PK into uh, Beckett's. My, my goodness, Beckett's of all places to pass. I, I, even now, even though we know exactly what happens, it's just impossible to not watch it while almost screaming inside don't do it it's not worth it lewis it's not worth it and then suddenly you just see the gap suddenly is about to shut 
and then the next thing you know, he's reached the apex, and then you just see PK's car skittering through <laughs> through the advertising hoardings. I did actually see a clip of Lewis Hamilton re-watching that back, and he says he still remembers the moment that he saw polystyrene flying from his mirrors, and he knew at that point he got the move complete. So we knew Lewis at this point was a proper, proper racer, and I mean, we saw that in the future with some Banzai, but always very clean lunges on people. The way he could kind of bend the bend the inside of the car to the apex just on the lateral hairpins and not run wide. I just couldn't believe he could slow a car down that well. And he was showing it this weekend. Yeah, he, that, that, that one move probably just highlighted that Hamilton did have the sign over PK a little bit in real fierce, will-to-will battle. Hamilton just had that extra edge, didn't he? And that, that was one of those Hamilton got through when PK was on the grass. That kind of was just symbolic of that title fight that year, really. Absolutely. Because Lewis at this point had had five, well, over the season he had five wins, PK four, but podiums, six more podiums, 14 for Lewis, I think I counted. I think that kind of showed the difference in the end. That was key because it went all the way to the wire. But at this point, well, at this point, PK had a good chance, but it was just starting to web away. Now, yeah, he needed a very strong finish to the season. He, he needed to keep winning. Because uh, Hamilton was just consistent, even if he wasn't winning, he was on the podium. If he started down the order, he'd still come through and get points. So yeah, it was just that consistency from Hamilton made him tough to beat over the season. Race one qualifying has already gone the way of Piquet, and by this point, he's on a good run of form. Dominant win in race one, fastest lap. Hamilton had to recover from 5th to 2nd, but 17 seconds behind. It's kind of looking like a whitewash weekend is on here, which it was possible to do it back then with only 8 places reversed, not like touring cars with success ballast, etc. So you could get double wins, and Pique at this point probably had a, in his mind to go and do that. Yeah, I mean, Hamilton had already proved he could do it. Won done the double a couple of times, and yeah, the way he won that three wins on the bounce, championship down to six points. It was uh, yeah, at that point the the, the opportunity was there for PK going into the reverse, partially reversed race. And the the statisticians amongst us are all start, start rubbing our knees like like a young Vic Reeves at this point, thinking we actually have a season finale on our hands here. But then a day later. A slight change of direction of the wind, allegedly, also might have helped with this. A completely different look altogether in terms of pace. Hamilton throws it away at the start. Completely throws it away with a spin. Coming through the first, well, the second chicane, I suppose it was. And by this point, the drama, the commentary box is filling up with everyone's rage and tension. Lewis manages to get it going, almost taking half the field out with him, as he does, which was a genuinely terrifying experience. <laughs> you can hear the commentator's voice as having a little bit of an aneurysm as he rejoins in the middle of the circuit. But back down to 17th place, it's all to do now, isn't it? Yeah, and even it wasn't the only dramatic moment on the first, I think it was the first lap, where he had a look at the inside of PK into one of the corners. PK slammed the door. Next thing, Hamilton's on the curve. Oh, yes. That almost the two tire wires had almost come together already, but then for whatever reason Hamilton dropped back. He couldn't stay with Pique, and then the next thing hits the curb, spins, 
and then that yeah rather interesting rejoin where <laughs> one way of saying it cars go left and right in avoidance I think so yeah he had it all to do at that point I dread to think what F1 social media would have looked like at that PK defence the half a car on the kerb mine nearly well very if it was contact it was extremely minor but that was but clenchingly get out of the throttle as quickly as possible for Lewis So by this point, of course, the fight back is on. And it turns into, it's almost as though if you're playing a Formula One game, someone's just going, right, I think I'll just turn all the all the driving aids on. Yeah, trash control. Yeah, we'll put that up to high. Let's just reduce the AI difficulty a little bit. And a man possessed, just picking off cars one by one, like we say, helped massively by Istanbul being a lovely circuit to be able to get a run on people. And he picked his spots, didn't he? Yeah, as you say, it was, it's like he was driving on easy mode in in an F1 game. I mean, the way the, the amount he was gaining on people on under braking, particularly, I think he, some people were just completely caught out by how late he could brake. So there's very few cars that actually seem to put up a fight. There was one or two that did, but a lot of them just kind of seemed to leave the door open, thinking you won't go for it, and you would just go, "Yeah, thanks very much." Another position, yeah. There was a lot of after you, Lewis, going on in that one. I remember that. Uh, one pass, I'm sure he was about four car lengths back before he took the lunge into that last section. And in a few laps, he'd already caught his own teammate heading towards the top 10. One thing I do remember was two people did put up a fight. One of them, and this is where I completely unleash full geek mode, Frank Pereira, who now, of course, is one of Lamborghini's GT works drivers. I remember seeing him at a GT Cup meeting and sharing with Michael Igor at Snetterton. They just won a race. All you could think of is, you once put up a fight against Lewis in a race in GP2. <laughs> what was that all about? Because heading into the last corner, loses the place, thinks, hmm, how about a little cutback move? Jumps to the inside, straight up the inside again. And I think Lewis was a bit shocked by that one. So well done, Frank, for that one. Yeah, I think he did. Uh, he did give Hamilton a squeeze initially on the, on the straight, and the commentators were like, oh, "I'm not sure about that," but it was it looked all perfectly fine. It's just his way of like, "Yeah, I'm not giving you this easy." And then he actually probably the only driver in that race to actually do Hamilton on the brakes into turn one. But yeah, I'm not 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 uh, giving up that easily. Yeah, it was a great move. I think by the end of that weekend, I was very glad to not be a pit board. I was thinking, I do not want to be reborn in a new life as a pit board in Turkey because there was a lot of squeezing going on. A lot of squeezing in that race. Among the drivers that also decided this was a good idea, uh, young Giorgio Pantano. Remember him? <laughs> Another one of Eddie Jordan's brief year contracts in there. He'd gone and took a step backwards to try and get another step forwards, as did, and here's a flashback for you, Gianmaria Bruni. Of course, by this point, he'd race for Minardi, but they both took a step back, as did quite a few drivers at this stage, because, of course, it was about getting the right brakes by this point. And I think the likes of PK, and even before that, Kovalainen, Rosberg, they'd all worked their ways into the right kind of test driver roles to get to it. So I think Formula One was on people's minds to recover by this point. Yeah, uh, I think I seem to remember Pantano, <laughs> if that's something on a separate topic. <laughs> we're, we're getting to that, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Are we talking about the the Leroy Jenkins lunge at Turn One on three cars? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was an interesting yeah, one, wasn't it? Yeah, we'll come on to that. Yeah, that was an interesting move. Um, <laughs> that was my memory of Pantano in that race. Who <laughs> a man. And also Enzo as well, seems to have an eventful, eventful race, let's say. Plenty going on with him. In fact, I had a bit of contact with Hamilton, didn't he? After Hamilton yeah. had rejoined, had a bit of tyre contact. So, yeah, bless him, Enzo had a bit of a <laughs> eventful few laps. <laughs> E.G. Visa was was consistently a magnet for people wanting to start something with him. I noticed, especially even in Champ Car, everyone seemed to want a piece of him. The poor guy. But at this stage, I remember the collision you're on about heading towards Turn Eight. Suddenly, after a little bit of wheel bagging, you see uh, Faris Fauzi, another British F3 refugee, we'll say, he'd made his way up towards GP2 as well, and just suddenly slows with some kind of mechanical problem, right in front of this Viso-Hamilton battle, heading into Turn 8, which is another incredible clenching moment. On the racing line, just stopped. And, and some of the reactions of Viso were just extraordinary <laughs> to, to not clip him at that point. And that was one of two really horrifically frightening incidents that he was almost a part of. On the first lap, I remember seeing replays and... I believe it was a DPR car just suddenly spins in the middle of the road. And I mean, we've seen the Billy Monger accident, of course, at Donington. This is incredibly quite eerily similar without the collision at the end. I mean, the reaction, how on earth there isn't a collision from that's all so I do not know. Almost an aeroplane crash, wasn't it? The car, I think it spun out and then was just stuck, stopped on the racing line. Oh my goodness, how did he miss the DPR car? So yeah, yeah, he had a very eventful race to Visa. <laughs> I mean, who didn't have eventful races in this one? I suppose one person that didn't was uh, the local driver, Jason Tinchy. There's a, 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 dare I say, a good answer for an episode of Pointless, if we ever made that. Of course, the, the only Turkish driver there. And I remember seeing him in Formula Renault in the Cabris car when I first went in 2004 to Croft. And I think he started being known as the Milk Tray Man for a bit, which is quite 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 amusing. <laughs> I certainly didn't see him jump through my window with a box of chocolates, but hey, that's another story. Yeah, very, it was another one to be swiftly dispatched by Hamilton early on in his recovery as well, I think. So by this point, Lewis has worked his way up toward the top 10. And then suddenly, like we say, people just leave the door open, especially to the last section. Under breaking, I mean, this is where Josemaria Lopez just doesn't want to fight, just lets it go. And by that point, you think, hmm, this could be a good recovery. We could actually be getting something out of this race. Yeah. Once he got into that top 10, I think he's up to about eighth, and you could see PK in the distance, the one he needed to, to outscore. The, the Jaws music starts playing. All of a sudden, you think, yeah. This could be on here, a podium, maybe even a win could be on. And then good old team orders come in. It's one, I think this is one of the best planned teammates letting their teammate through situation because we're talking no car lengths at the move. Suddenly, Alexandra Premat, who spent a year with Nicole Rosberg as well, now has exactly the same situation all season as well, despite being a very handy driver, the French man, has to just ease out the way, let Lewis through, who's already making a pass, and then at the last corner, 
So it's a perfectly timed chop in between the two cars, and then it's bye-bye, and away we go, hunting off for the points positions now. It's a lovely bit of teamwork as well, but how was Prema? Was Prema, uh, dare I say, lost, another lost talent from single-seaters? He was Because I remember him in Via Supercars doing quite well with a certain Scott McLaughlin. Yeah, and A1GP champion with Nico Lapierre for Team France. That I think it was the first season of A1GP. So, yeah, he's a bit of a... At the time, well, I don't know if I'm sure how good he was, but he was certainly uh, winning a few races back then. And um, But, yeah, alongside Hamilton for most of the season, I think he was <laughs> putting the shade in the day. Couldn't have been a better timed manoeuvre because Hamilton had just passed a car behind into that she came and then he just handily just left the door open the final corner thank you very much Hamilton through and off he went of course by this point Lewis will have had more than whatever the next um, the next step up from Red Mist would have been it's certainly going through his head at this point and just Hamilton the racer in that race I think he just showed I think in that race he was just out he just the race running really more than anything in that race I think um, not really thinking about anything else just the next car to overtake and yeah it wasn't pretty it wasn't bad at all it was it was the T1000 in Terminator 2 wasn't it just there's my target let's get him now immediately faster on faster on faster on <laughs> so now Lewis has set his sights on trying to get towards PK who's still a few places ahead the fishing rod out first one that he catches a bit of a flashback from the past. Uh, Sergio Hernandez, who I believe then went on to be Alex Zanardi's teammate in World Touring Cars. I do think he won a race, actually, for BMW. So that was a, one of those Lopez-style massive career changes, but he was mincemeat. I think uh, didn't really put much resistance to Lewis. Just a lunge up the inside and, and off and Hamilton. There was another place, another place gained. And then speaking of other names, which we definitely know from the future after that, Nicolas Lapierre. Another one just ticked off like he's not even moving at all. Again, under braking, just so much better under braking. It's by by this point, you almost get suspicious, don't you? Wondering why people are actually letting him through this easily. But it's just confidence. Confidence is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just it was just down to that. that Hamilton was just so much more confidence on the brakes. I think ART had been. I think both ART cars have been good on the brakes all season, interestingly. Uh, but how he just played to Hamilton's strengths and I think others I think some were just genuinely just either half asleep or just weren't expecting him to come from as far back as he did, because none of them even thought of defending. They just the door was open and he was just he just he just didn't register for Hamilton to even hesitate. It was just right, another one and I'm through. Another one of the people I think that drove for France in A1GP, as practically everyone might have done at that stage. Then the next one, another name we'll know, Lucas Degrassi, probably the easiest of them all. I'm not entirely sure what happens here, just coming out of the um, what we will call the Turkish Senna S. Is that okay? Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Drives around the outside, and now this blue car is suddenly within range, and you start going, here we go as Fabrizio Romano would have said. Now, suddenly, everyone's starting to think we've got a good battle finally on track between these two. Absolutely. I mean, at this stage, Hamilton, I think, was two seconds behind PK. PK being involved in a really fierce battle for a few laps with Timo Glock, and it ended up flat spotting his tyres into 
the final few corners at the end of the back straight, he did a massive lockup, and I think that hurt his pace a little bit because he was PK was starting to fade. Then he was starting to fall away from Glock. I think Hamilton just caught him within a lap. I think it just it relegated two second gap within a lap, and yeah, at that point PK was just looking like cannon fodder. It was a magic act. It just completely disappeared that margin in literally one and a half laps, but. Glock was relentless. One of the, the defences of that era, almost. He was not letting anyone past. And I think that caught Piquet out a little bit, as you can tell. And then Lewis suddenly makes his move. Sure, here we go. Yeah, just so, looking in. Oh, that's yes. great stuff. Good move. Little, little attempt to move under breaking. Didn't do anything. Lewis is straight through. By this point, you'd be just gutted if you were Piquet, thinking, how on earth have I got to this stage? Yeah, I mean, the other drivers before that, you can kind of understand them leaving the door open. But, you know, when you've seen Hamilton come in at the rate he was, your title rival, he just left the door open and you just were surprised that he didn't even think to defend. You know, he, he needed to finish ahead of Hamilton, really. And, and yeah, I think PK was caught, caught napping a little bit there. Um, to the rate that Hamilton caught him, he just, yeah, again, it was just another... Supply him overtake into the final corner uh, and into the final few corners at the end of that back straight. They've been practicing these moves from Ramsey Nurburgring already, so I think the late breaking was already a potential for Lewis as a little kind of special skill move, if you like, a little trump card that he could use. But it then comes across his nemesis, really, of the race, Timo Glock. This is this is properly on the edge of being hard racing, but yet fair race of that time it was i think the cars were very good for actually causing good racing yeah that was the battle of the race i don't know how many corners they went side by side through I mean, i think hamilton got alongside in the pit straight glock did that pushing him towards the pit wall and then i think they just went i think glock gave him a squeeze out of turn two pushed him wide again hamilton kept in the fight i think they had a little bit of contact at one point turn four, a little, little tag yeah a little tag just eases him wide and then yeah. cheeky little peek here suddenly sees this gap wide open and we go, oh, there's some nice points there. Thank you very much. And let's try and get this back. So by that point, you'd be like, for goodness sake, will you just get out of my way like everyone else has? But Glock was not having it. Yeah, well, as Glock was already very experienced at that point, hadn't he done champ car, being F1, he knew how to race. And yeah, I think fair play to him. And like the others, he, he was going to put up a fight. as a podium there for the taking he'd had a good run of form as well the second half of the season so yeah he, he wasn't phased and, and he yeah he put up a really good fine perhaps surprised Hamilton a little bit because he it'd been so easy from up to that point probably just thought this would be another easy overtake but no good old uh Tim O'Glock he uh he put up a, a really uh good fight yeah, he did the Pereira to get it back but then one of the most galling moments was thinking, hang on, I'll just send it around the outside of Nelson this time, at the same area, so he's passed him on the inside and outside at exactly the same corner. I think that was that must have been a massive kick in the bollocks right there for Nelson to be overtaken both ways by a title rival. Yeah, you could see the first pass had kind of woken him up a little bit, so the, coming down that backstroke the next time, yeah, he wasn't going to let Hamilton have the inside this time. The only problem for PK was he had Glock 
also defending the inside in front of him, which I think kind of he had to check his braking a little bit, and that allowed Hamilton to go around the outside. And yeah, that must have been painful. And PK thought, I've done everything right this time, I'm putting up a fight, and Hamilton just swept all the way around the outside. I don't think anyone else did that in the race there, just around, around the outside and through. And I think he even uh, nudged the back of the clock at that point. As he did. Well. did. Just, just a little kiss. Have a way. <laughs> I think that was the moment that PK decided he probably wanted to consider a NASCAR career, seeing that level of bug drafting going on right in front of him. Uh, Timo actually said about this race in an article of motorsportweek.com, had great battles with Lewis, especially in Turkey, where we were wheel-to-wheel, battling for many corners. It was hard, but all the time fair. He was just charging through the field, and nearly everyone didn't really fight him. Trouble for me was that we had the wrong top gear, in brackets, excuses time, <laughs> because from Saturday to Sunday, the wind direction changed. We didn't think it would be a big effect. Well, obviously, it was. He was down on top speed and had to fight hard against PK. Then Lewis turned up, had to battle the two of them, I was so pissed due to the lack of top speed. I said, okay, you're going to have a hard time passing me. Yep, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> but finally, a move was done on the pit straight, despite picking up God knows how much dirt on the inside. Everyone with pit boards probably leapt for their safety at that stage, but the move was finally done. And there's just two more to go now. Yeah, it was the one little uh, slip up from Glock there and put such a great fight. He did kind of leave the door open to the final corner, didn't he? And Hamilton just said, yeah, I'm coming up the inside. It was already in the inside out of the final corner. And then, as you say, down the pitch straight and he got it in turn one. But I think Timo did just give him that half a chance, which he hadn't before. And that was enough for Hamilton to, to get it done. Yeah, when you watch it on, if you watch it back on YouTube, which you absolutely will be doing, I promise you, you'll see at the last corner, there's a moment when he thinks, I need to shut the door, and then sees the front wing just edging inside. He goes, oh, nope, backs out of it. And that's where the move kind of gets done. So it's it's forceful. But by that point, it's just it's just good hard racing, as we say. But also, apparently Lewis Hamilton's fastest lap by this point had been eight tenths quicker than anybody else, which just shows how much speed he had. And he was only within, I think, six seconds of the lead with a few laps left. So by this point, we've only really got, say, two laps left to get anything. Zuba's turned a superb drive. Adam Carroll's just having a little Sunday afternoon drive or Sunday morning drive at Lillabeen. And then all of a sudden... Joel's music's playing in his head now. And then from at least two seconds back, what a lap. What a final lap from Lewis this was. Yeah, I think with two laps to go, Lewis was three seconds behind Adam Carroll. And then he just set fastest lap on the penultimate lap, fastest lap on the final lap. So with three corners to go, I mean, even then he was still a fair old chunk behind as he came out to that, she came out to the long back straight. It was so far back. So ridiculously far back. Yeah, he just there's no way he's going to get this done. And then as he's going down the back straight, you can see he's got the toe. Yeah, he's going to go for this. And yeah, for Karen and Carol, whether we with two laps ago, I thought he got it in the bag. He, he probably didn't think from three seconds about Hamilton was going to catch him, but Lewis was just so much faster than everybody else. And then by that stage, of course, one corner left. First win for Andy Zuber. 
hurrah get the flags out and also i think that's the first year for trident racing i think we've just discovered as well which of course now very very quick team in f2 and f3 so yeah that was the start of a wonderful future for that team yeah straight into gp2 in the first season you, you would have been heard of to think that these days when your team going straight into formula two in their their first season but they did and yeah got a win and yeah they've gone on to be a pretty successful team at that level uh incidentally the then ceo of gp2 bruno michael i remember he's he's heard there's a quote here it says it was the most amazing race i've ever seen to be perfectly honest, everyone thought he was cheating because he was doing so well. But Lewis Hamilton, this was, was completely outstanding. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how good it was. It was just a drive for that entire era, wasn't it, of support series? Yeah, he, he, he was just races like that and there were others that year where he was just head and shoulders above the rest. He was already clear that, you know, he, there was a real star. <laughs> I think he was already clear even before. GP2, but that season GP2 just cemented it that, yeah, this is a, a real star in the making in, in F1. Um, and that, that drive was probably the, yeah, was the best of the lot, wasn't it, in Turkey? It, yeah, it was definitely the one where I think a brand new pen was given to Ron Dennis to definitely start signing a few things away. So top three, we know Adam Carroll comes home a probably quite disappointed third. I'll have to have a word with him to see why the gap was left so wide open. Clock somehow doesn't get any silverware for fourth. Pique down in fifth. By this point, yeah, you'd be pretty deflated, I would have thought, would you? Yeah. I mean, Adam Carroll, going back to Adam Carroll, I mean, yeah. That door was very much left wide open, wasn't it, at the end there? I was came from an absurd distance behind to, to mug him for that second place. Um, but yeah, PK, having seen Hamilton's probably spinning in his moves at the start of the race, thinking here's my chance to close that gap even more, to then fade to fifth. Yeah, that would have been a pretty painful one. I seem to remember him after that race. He he got the Renault reserve drive for the next season secured. And he seems to be quite bugged about the question at the time of how, because he'd now got his future secured, how the, the GB2 title wasn't that important anymore. And he was kind of... Yeah, he seemed to be quite irritated that people could ask about that, and he was saying, "No, this is really important. I still really want to win this championship. It'll make you know, if I win it, it'll be better for my career." So he still really badly wanted to win it at this stage. Um, going into, but he knew going into the final round, he'd have to produce something special, ten points behind, um, with the way the point system wasn't in GP two back then. That was a big, relatively big gap. So. He ideally needs to do a double at Monza and hope Hamilton hit trouble to, to get the title. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I've got a quote from Autosport magazine that PK had said. said, people have been asking if it really matters that I win the GP2 series now. This is after, of course, the contract with Renault. His future's already tied up, you think. He says, well, the answer is that the pressure is not off. It really does matter. I still want to win this championship so much. It's what I've wanted for two seasons, and it will feel like I've missed out on something if I can't win it. He then went and got pole position at Monza, but as we know, it didn't quite pay off. Lewis did win the title. The rest, as they say, is history. But an interesting uh, way in which the title was decided, of course. It was Barney. <laughs> was, it was decided by um, the fastest lap point. Hamilton had the fastest lap, which would have 
got him the championship, Giorgio, that pesky Giorgio Pantano. Oh, a pesky stole, man. Oh, all the fastest lap on, on the final lap of the race, only to then have it taken away due to yellow flag, in a yellow flag infringement. And that was Hamilton got his extra point and he sewed the title up with the race to spare. <laughs> what, a, what a tinker. Uh, I do remember that happening. I do remember thinking, is it over or not? And this is where. We'll know this from sitting in media centres waiting and waiting for an announcement to come of a result change. So it meant that the race after, Lewis could just bolt for it. And then he ended up having a good old scrap with Young Pantano just to round off the season before he then moved on to, let's just say, a decent career, really, in Formula One. Mm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you cynic. <laughs> Was Piquet then found solitude at Renault in 2008, so two years' time, and Glock found it at Toyota. But Glock had his moment a year later, despite having some bizarre, almost David Attenborough-style mating ritual with his teammate at Magni Coors off the start line. He did win the GP2 title, which I think got him the Toyota drive. Another story then developed later on, which we'll probably forget about in case, <laughs> in case we get into trouble. I can't think what you're talking about there, but um, oh. yeah, Hamilton got reunited. But yeah, Glock, Glock went on to do good things at Toyota alongside another underrated talent, Yarno Trolley, of course. How dare but, you? Um, I will not say he's underrated, I'll say he's one of the greatest. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to build him up here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, now Nelson, Nelson uh, PK Jr., I think, probably that pesky Fernando Alonso going back there after his spectacular fallout with Ron Dennis, probably didn't help his cause for 2008. No. He wasn't, he didn't kind of match up to Alonso in the way Hamilton did in his first season at McLaren. Um, yeah, he just kind of, yeah, just wilted under that that environment of Flavio and um, Fernando. And yeah, another incident we won't talk about from that year at Singapore. Um yeah, it is it's such a shame that that is if you say Nelson Piquet Jr. I mean we talk about British F F four, British F sorry, British F three we talk about and people just like to go, Oh, remember Singapore? Like, yes, yes I do. But also, what about this? But I suppose when someone like Fernando Alonso at that era turns up, it's a little bit like going to a party and then Leonardo DiCaprio just arriving. With two arms out, going, are you not entertained? It's really not the best environment to be in. Yeah, I think of that one, one great result at Hockenheim that year when he finished second behind a certain Lewis Hamilton. Um, but apart from that, it never, never really happened for him. Apart from as they went back, to, went to Formula E and was champion. But yeah, it just never kind of panned out from the way it probably would have appeared when he was in that GP two season. These things happen. These things happen, don't they? So, Yoke Stephen, how about a quiz? The answer is yes. I'm not taking any other answer. <laughs> so, seven drivers in this grid went on to at some point race in Formula One or had already raced in Formula One. Can you name them? I'll be Lewis Hamilton, Nelson Piquet, Timo Glock, Gianmarini Bruni. Um, who else was in it? 
that then. Uh, oh, God, now I'm getting stuck already. Lucas Degrassi. Oh, yes, he's there. Um, We've mentioned him quite a few times, that pesky Italian. Oh, yes, Giorgio Panto, of course. <laughs> told, told you you never did anything in F1. Oh, I'm Vitaly Petrov. Was randomly in that race. There he is. Yes, Pet Petrov was one of um, DPR's 4,000 drivers that season, which includes a certain Mike Conway, who went on to do, well, he came very close to Formula One, I think, at one point, but now, of course, loving life in sports cars, as a lot of these are. I also noticed sure. looking through this list, there's, there's a lot of people who were in Formula th uh, British Formula Three in 2004 during Piquet's year. There's Clivio Piccioni, for example, was one of them. I know Fauzi raced there. Viso raced in it. Conway. Yeah, Con no. Conway, I think, was a year after. Conway was yeah. champion in 06. Adam Carroll was in it. Oh, so close to winning the title was Adam as well. So close. It's strange seeing people like Will Davison in there. Well, and Will, Will Power, of course, famous <laughs> for the double bird and many IndyCar titles. But many of the Caroon, double bird. Caroon Chandok as well. Yes. Say that Pico wasn't that bad after all. What a race! That is the performance of the championship from Lewis Hamilton. So what a race! I mean, just go back and watch it. A lot of you already know it, of course. Oh, Steve, lovely to reminisce about this one. Final thoughts oh, yeah. on that one? Yeah, I mean, he didn't go on. He's not going on to do too badly, is that, Mister Hamilton? Has he since then? He's done all right. I'm sure his bank account agrees with him. Yeah. But, um, yeah, back when uh, well, the racing back then was no DRS, late lunges, oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm more than anything, bring back Turkey. Then we've established that, that. What a great yes. track for racing. Yes, please. I'll tell you what, if you, anyone wants to get in touch, uh, whether it's on Twitter or whatever it's called now, or Instagram, Facebook, please use the hashtag bring back Istanbul or just as Bazuba because they're are definitely things that need to come back. Thank you very much, Steve Whitfield. And we'll be back for another Races of Our Lives. See you then. So come on then. Which ones have we missed? Get on social media and find us to let us know what classic races you want us to cover and your memories of them. Just remember to use the hashtag racers of our lives and we'll read out your memories as we go.